Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Everybody, uh, welcome uh, to Wandering DMs. I am Dan. Paul is off wandering uh, this week. He'll be back next week. Uh, but we have a very special show for you today. I am joined, kind of filling in for Paul here, by one of our top patrons on the Wandering DMs channel, Mr. Stephen Wendell. And we're going to be talking about jousting in original D&D, and we're going to do it live here on the air. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Dan. I'm, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad yeah, to... Uh, uh, I'm glad you accepted my challenge. <laughs> I'm really glad that uh, you posed the challenge, Stephen. Um, so Stephen and I have been uh, big fans of the jousting system that's in original D&D for a long time. And frankly, I think that both of us agree we don't get to play it enough. Am I right? Am I right about that, Stephen? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, Nobody wants to play so same as jousting. Right? I feel the same way. So Steve and I have both developed a system uh, for playing chain bell jousting, and Stephen posted it on his blog a little while ago. Um, I actually haven't posted mine to date, but I uh, used it at GaryCon uh, 2018 because they have a big jousting tournament there that's kind of a real highlight every year. So uh, we started discussing that, and we thought about, well, let's put uh, system versus system, man versus machine or really man versus math is what's, what you're gonna see here today. <laughs> so I thought that was a great idea and I'm so glad that, uh, that we could connect here. Now, Stephen, you're actually connecting from uh, Germany. We're, we're in Germany here at the moment? Yeah, yeah, I'm actually, um, I'm about, I'm just, just across the river from that castle over your shoulder. That one, yeah. Amazing, amazing, yeah. that's the best. Yeah. I was there, I was there last, uh, in the week, Earlier in the week. Wow, nice. that's awesome! I'm so jealous. Of course, I'm I'm coming from uh, Wandering DM's headquarters in New York City here. Um, so let me see. So if you don't know who Stephen is, um, he uh, has an old school blog at DungeonLands.com. That's D-O-N-J-O-N Lands.com, um, which which we adore to death. That's where uh, Stephen previously posted his uh, jousting system. And uh, occasionally Stephen writes some uh, books about old school gaming. And I know that, uh, Stephen, you have a new book coming out uh, called Blue Flame Tiny Stars. Let me pull up the cover to that. So here's, a, here's the cover to Stephen's upcoming Blue Flame Tiny Stars. And it says, a memoir of early experiences playing the Holmes edition of the world's most superlative role-playing game. And I think we all recognize the cover there. That's actually Stephen's homage to the cover of the Holmes Blue Book there that I personally had um, uh, taped on. When my book fell apart, I had that taped on my bedroom door as a teenager for a number of years. So a good a good choice, Stephen. Want to tell us what, what, else, what, what kind of things are you uh, memorializing uh, in Blue Flame Tiny Stars? Well, you know, we have these, we have we started, you know, if, if you're my age and you played D&D, &D, then you probably started back in the late 70s, early 80s. 
and depending on what edition it might have been you know might have been the uh, homes um and we have all these memories about this first time we played and i don't know for me i just never lost those memories and i guess it was about um sometime around the time the osr started in the early 2000s i started remembering them you know oh yeah i remember we used to play like that and it was it was nice and it was cool and it was fun um and i just kept it became they became recurring memories and i and i kept thinking one day i'm gonna have to write these down and so last year i started uh dungeon lands blog and i said well that's got to be one of the things i'll do is write down these anecdotes it's not really any stories not it's not like a story with a beginning middle and end it's just little anecdotes little events that happened you know my best friend said man you've got to play this game and i was like okay let's play you know, and he showed me the book and the, the dice and all that stuff and, and watching the first adventure. And um, my friend's neighbor came over and he played a magic user and he was sixth level. And I had no idea what that was, but it was so cool. So I just, I just wrote all these things down and, um, you know, on the blog. And it, it, come out, it came out pretty good and it had some nice comments. And I kind of strung them all together and edited out some of the extraneous bits. And it made a nice, uh, made a nice little book. So I, let's uh, let's make it a book. That's awesome. Uh, now, obviously, you gave me an advance uh, preview of it, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, I actually really, it, it feels very true to my experience as well. Uh, of course, uh, Holmes Blue Book was kind of the, really the first mass market version of D and D. Really, you know, yeah. the original D and D before that. But this is the first version that they had in you know mass box stores at the time. So I think if you look at numbers, like there's a huge spike in people playing D&D really kind of became the first yeah. fad with that uh, publication. And that's how I started. And your stories feel very, very true to me. And I'm kind of glad that you have them, uh, you know, uh, documented that that's what it was like at the time. You just, you know, you come into a game nowadays, surely someone has heard of Dungeons and Dragons. But at the time... <laughs> It was this new mystery that you were being inculcated kind of like into a cult. Yeah. And you were like, and, and yeah. you, were just, you were at the table and you were playing before you even knew what it was. And I yeah. love having that, kind of, those memories down on paper. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's um, a lot of us, a lot of players have these old memories that I think it's, uh, it's good to, to get them down and, and get them out. I think it's important. You know, like yeah. you and I, we, you know, I, I hear, one of your common recurring uh, themes is I wish somebody back in the 70s had taken one of those video cameras and and recorded or, or a tape recorder and recorded the the, the, the uh, sessions. You know, we just don't have those. Um, so and we probably most of us don't have recordings of the sessions either, but we can still write down our memories um, before, you know, too late. Uh, where will people be able to get uh, Blue Flame Tiny Stars, Stephen? I'm going to put it on Drive Through RPG. Awesome, awesome. And I think you have this isn't your first book that you published. What else have you done uh, previously? Um, I've got a couple of books outside of gaming, more or less. Um, one is um, the Little Lot series of books for children. They're uh, fantasy fantasy adventure. Uh, stories for children. The first one is called uh, the first story of Little Lot, and it, it's about um, the the story of Lancelot and his rescue of Guinevere. It's uh, a little boy playing with his action figures, playing out the story, 
on the on the floor, and uh, so it's it's very much uh, inspired by D and D. In fact, one chapter, I think it's the fourth chapter, is the joust, and there's a or it's a joust between Lancelot and the bad guy, and I use chainmail to get the aiming points and the defensive positions. <laughs> so, I, so if you're familiar with chainmail, you could read this thing and and you could tell where they're aiming and where they're where they're sitting, the tilting and all that's that. That's awesome. Kind of <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And the other um, the other book me, is um, yeah. sorry. The other book is uh, a very muddy place. War stories. It's um, about my great grandfather in World War One France. He was in Tennessee and got drafted and went off to the war. And he came home and he had a few uh, war stories that he told. You know, anecdotes again. And um, the, back in 2018, it was the hundredth anniversary of the end of the war. So I put all the anecdotes together and, and did a lot of research in the history about and I was able to put him on the map on certain days um, throughout his story there. Uh, and so that's what that's what that book is about. Let me put my sorry, I, I accidentally switched the uh, the image there when I didn't mean to. But um, uh, that sounds that sounds uh, intense and important. I'm glad you have that out too. So uh, yeah, well, really fascinating you used Okay, good. I good. That seems appropriate. That seems appropriate. Yeah. So uh, fascinating that you used uh, chainmail jousting for your Little Lot series. Let's maybe for viewers that don't know exactly what we're talking about, let's talk about the jousting game that we are going to be playing yeah. here today in a couple minutes. Um, so first of all, I got that for what it's worth. I've got this episode titled jousting in original D D. so i guess i need to justify that a little bit if you look at um uh, yeah. original D D, the dm's book that comes in the uh the white box here get that out here so you crack open original D D from 1974 you go to the dm's book in there and they've got a section on wilderness and particularly this page on castles all the different castles are going to be in the wilderness and you know many of the castles are controlled by you know fighting class fighting men as, it, as it's called there and so the, the one paragraph, like what's going to happen if you run into a castle that's run by a fighter and what it says there at the bottom of the page is fighting men within castles will demand a jousting match all the time. No exception. That's the only thing they ever do. They're going to demand a jousting match with all passerby of like class of fighters. Otherwise, they will demand a total from 100 to 600 gold pieces from the party. If a joust takes place, use rules from chainmail. And uh, whoever, if they lose, you get the that guy's armor, which is probably very expensive. If you win, you get to stay in his castle for free and get gear. Um, and of course, uh, Chainmail, um, if somebody doesn't know, is the precursor to D&D that had, uh, it had mass combat warfare, and then they added on man-to-man -man combat, and then they added on uh, fantasy combat with all the Tolkien monsters, of course, that... Wind up, wound up evolving into D&D. But in the middle there, there's a specific jousting system, which is what we're looking at today. So let's go look at that. So here's, here, here is the, so now I'm going back to chainmail here. Here's the text in jousting. And basically, you know, at the bottom of the page, you get the point system for what's going to happen on a particular ride. And we're going to be playing, uh, you know, opposing knights, obviously. And what's going to happen is that there's this matrix. Should I just bring up the matrix, Stephen? Bring up I mean, the that's matrix. really what we're going to be looking at. It's a, okay. It's a matrix, Dan. 
Okay, so then you know all the ta all the tables you actually use in chainmail are in a separate part of the book, right? They they hadn't quite gotten their formatting down right, so all the tables are dealt over in the appendix. So here's really what we're going to be looking love at. The point. <laughs> and and we love him for it, frankly. It's really all yeah, appendices yeah. What and would the DMG appendices. Yeah. The best part of the DMG <laughs> is the appendices. Yeah, they kind of are. They kind of are. So when you're doing um, original DMV or, or chainmail jousting here, you look at this matrix and each player, each of your two players, is going to pick uh, an aiming point where you're aiming the lance. That's that left-hand column. And then you're going to pick a defensive position that you're positioning yourself in the saddle, and that's the row across the top. So a combination of aiming point, defensive point, and then over on the far right, not every combination is allowed. So over on the far right, they're saying, if you've got this aiming point, here's the only defensive points you're allowed to pick. You look at, you, you display what your move is on both sides, and then you get some kind of result there. Um, uh, like basically, is that what people need to know, Stephen? What are, maybe, tell us what the different uh, options, what are the different options for results as you understand them? Uh, the different options for results. Well, the, the best thing that can happen for the attacker is to unhorse your opponent, which is the you. So that's a good thing. You can also injure the opponent, which is fun. Um, you always, I noticed that you always injure and unhorse at the same time. You can never injure without unhorsing. Um, Agreed. That's, I've, I've learned that it's, that's how it works. You, you fall and then you get injured. Jousting we were practicing a little week. bit on Wednesday. Stephen and I got together yeah. on Wednesday. We practiced a little bit, and I th yeah. I thank you for pointing it out, Stephen. I hope that you're recovering okay. Yeah, yeah, you got the you know the lean right and lean left. It doesn't work the same way on a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> so otherwise, there is uh, you can knock off the opponent's helmet. You, if you aim for the helmet and the opponent, it's only one, you only have one chance to do it. If you aim for the helmet and the opponent is sitting steady seat, right straight up in his seat, then you can get his helmet. Otherwise, you miss every time. Um, Good point. And, Good point. and then there is uh, break slants. Break slants, the B, is the only, um, the only attack that's bad for the attacker. So we see the B, you don't yes. want to get a B because then your, your lance is broken. And in the case of the helmet, if your helmet comes off or if you break your lance, then in the next ride, for some strange reason, we don't know why, you, are, you, have, to make, you have to assume the steady seat position and your opponent, of course, knows that. And so he will choose best tail and, on his attack. And there's nothing you can do. You're going to be unhorsed. And, uh, you're going to be injured, or no, you're going to be unhorsed. Your opponent is going to break his lance, but the, the, um, the joust is over at that point. Um, the only thing you can do is hope is, is to choose the best attack and hope that you can unhorse your opponent as well and maybe win on point. Great, That's great analysis there, already. actually. I Yep, I agree with that. When when Steve and I got together, you know, um, I I, know, I feel like with a lot of a lot of games in the past, like I for some reason risk pops to mind. Like there's usually like a disagreement about what's in the rules. So one thing we wanted to do is connect. We're talking and make about sure a thing we were, in chain mail. Right. Yes. Right. Because there's no ambiguities there. Um, 
and, and fortunately, uh, Steve and I actually do agree with everything that he just said about the analysis and you know how the game's going to run. So that was that was frankly a relief because no, I'm accustomed to like there being a big disagreement on these things. Who 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 defunct yeah. it? Um, I see a comment. Uh, I saw a comment here about you know the the attack points, the aiming points have these kind of cryptic initials to them. So we should probably explain. Um, we should probably give a little bit more detail about exactly what those are referring to. So yeah, uh, the other thing on that same page, right, is the shield is in a joust. You're normally aiming at the other knight's shield, and so um, they are using these classic, I guess, Latin terms from heraldry. Of uh, you can aim at the uh, the DC stands for Dexter Chief. Chief is going to be the top of the shield. Um, Fess is going to be the middle of the shield. And then base is going to be the little pointy part at the bottom of a kite-shaped shield, basically. And then uh, in Latin, dexter means the right, as in, which is where we get the word dexterous or dexterity from, actually, because that's, that's the good side to be on for manipulating stuff. Sinister um, stands for the left, Ooh. because, of course, left-handed people, such as myself, are uh, evil and sinister and can't be trusted. So I, I get that. I understand. I'm okay. Okay, we're unusual, folks. And then, of course, pale uh, stands for the center. So you're either picking Dexter Chief, Pale Chief, Sinister Chief across the top, mm -hmm. or Dexter Fess. I guess they have it as Fess Pale or Sinister Fess across the middle, depending on what you're doing. You're aiming for right, middle, or left. So hopefully, and then of course, and the and there's one other option is you can aim at the guy's helmet, which seems I don't know if that's yeah. sporting or not, but that's the other option in there. So hopefully that. So now everything's all cleared up. So now we're just going to be talking Latin for the rest of the episode. I think we're all I think we're all on the right page about that. There's some great names uh, for NPCs in there. I want to call some guy uh, Dexter Fest. That's great. So maybe we'll just talk about before we get into it. Let's so so I'll bring back the the rules text. I mean, so I think we know what's going to happen there. And you got the point results there. Maybe we'll just chat about things that were possibly surprising. So number one is the way that this text says it is you're really you're going to do up to three rides but you're really just looking for the on the first unhorsing once you plant your opponent on the back the the joust is over and that person won the points are, are it says there the, po the the points probably won't be necessary they're only there to break a tie i guess if you go to three rides or you both unhorse each other at the same time do you agree with that Stephen? yeah yeah okay right so once once someone's on horse, then the joust is over, and you don't even care about the points normally. But that's the points are basically a tiebreaker. So as you pointed out, you know, as it says there, if you unhorse your opponent, you get twenty points. If the opponent is at the same time injured, they lose ten points. I'm not sure why it's necessary. If you knock the opponent's helm off, you get three points, and then if you break your lance, you lose one point. Is that what you expected, like the first time you saw chainmail point scoring, Stephen? Or was that was the break lance surprising to you? I I had I didn't expect anything at all when I first okay. looked at that. You know, I had no experience okay. with jousting at all before. Not that I have an experience now with jousting, um, except for you know the bicycle kind. Um, You're welcome. But you know, you and I both were wondering uh, separately. Because I, I found your comments on on the, I think the O D and D boards about you know why was it that when you break your lance you get minus one I don't know either in all my research the historical research they wanted mm -hmm. to break their lance it showed that they were 
hitting the shield they because they were trying to be safe they wanted to hit the shield correctly with the lance in order to shatter it that was that was what they wanted to do um, and actually injuring the opponent was a bad thing it was it was frowned yes. upon so the, the the however they did this is kind of they made it to be more a little bit more uh, gritty and there were historically i think in the beginning it started around in the 12th century something like that i'm not really sure um and there were there were like two schools of jousting there was one that was that was sort of nice we played by rules and all that kind of stuff and there was another one i think it was the french it was more french that they were a little bit more gritty and they they wanted to hurt you um so i don't know where right you know the the whole thing comes from yeah um yeah. and interesting and though that i totally yeah, go, ahead. go ahead you you go i wanted to uh, add you wondered uh, about the um you break break lance is a minus one for the the attacker and then injured is is a minus for the opponent um or for the for the defender um and i noticed that you know like i said there's you always if you're injured you're always on horse but in a single ride the the 20 points for unhorsing is enough to win no matter what the other two previous rides were like by mm -hmm. far so mm -hmm. and if you injure him as well then you got 30 points or the difference is 30 points. so i wonder i was thinking about that this week while i was practicing i wonder if they didn't mean not that we're going to do it this way today but if they didn't intend for a tournament to be a tally of all the points together we were thinking to just do the um to tally up our joust you know loss win loss yeah. um but i yeah. i suspect that they were that they were tallying all the points so if you got an an unhorse and injure the guy too you're like the team was like yeah we're getting ahead that's I pretty reasonable that's and on the I think that makes sense to me. And then on the break lance thing, I, I agree with Stephen. My understanding of you know historically, you were trying to break your lance for points. And in current like you know Renaissance fair jousting, or I'm thinking of like the TV show Full Metal Full Metal Jousting. Yeah, you're scoring points for breaking your lance for putting enough impact on your lance. So uh, not you know item number one that I've always been curious about is why does this go in the opposite direction? But that's how we're going to play today. And I guess the other thing is, as Stephen was saying earlier, that asterisk um, on the jousting matrix is why that, what I call the restricted ride condition, if you break your lance, not only do you lose a point, you also have to pick steady steet. And uh, if you read the table clearly, you're clearly gonna lose on the next ride. And I, I have been curious about what the intent was behind that. I've never gotten a straight story. I know that at GaryCon, uh, when they run it, they uh, interpret that as, well, you have to run back to your tent for a new lance, and you're getting back to the list um, not prepared properly as the timer runs out or something like that. Um, it's maybe, right? Okay, we've got to make up some kind of interpretation, but I'm, I'm kind of curious what was on their mind to begin with. But anyway, whatever it is, yeah. that's the game, and that's what we're playing with I, today. Uh, we Go ahead. I wonder, um, first of all, I wonder where the jousting rules came from, because all the other parts of chainmail came from somewhere else. And, you know, now uh, John Peterson, he, uh, a year or so ago, he talked about um, 
some his last name is Pat, who um, who had the who had an, a, a version of the fantasy rules like the year before in England, and Gygax took those, and of course the, the man to the man to man. I'm not sure where it came from. Anyway, the the jousting rules. I've never heard where they might have come from, but looking at the at the table in the matrix, it's pretty clear that it is well thought out. It's not something that they, you know, thought, "Hey, let's we need a way to figure out uh, who's going to be the king of our of the of the uh, Castle and Crusade Society." So let's make this do this matrix. It's really well thought out. You try to do it one way, you think, "Oh, this is it," but then you see there's another. It's, there's a weakness for everything. It all crosses itself. So it's really well thought out. So I'd, I'm really interested to know if anybody's heard of where the jousting matrix comes from. Good question. Good question. We, we know that, you know, in the years before D&D, there was a whole lot of sharing of ideas in the war game community and yeah. a lot of cross-pollination. So, um, yeah, I, I, I wonder what the, what the origin is myself. We should, we should get into it. Uh, we should actually get into our play session here. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what we're doing later, but to make a long story short, uh, I think Stephen's, Stephen, give me a, give me a, a, a 15 words that describe what you're doing for your strategy today. Uh, my strategy is, well, I, I calculated, I essentially <laughs> took the jousting matrix and added up, I assigned points for each result and then added up for each attack or each aiming point and each defensive position, how much, how many points it would be worth, and then rank them on a list. And so those are my 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 preferred um, aiming points and defensive positions. Um, and then and then it's all about you know playing the game and watching your opponent and watching yourself and and it's all it's all uh, outlined in the article on uh, Dungeonland strategy on the Jousting Major. And for what it's worth, the link uh, to that uh, blog by Stephen is on the YouTube description right now. So follow that link there and you'll you'll see uh, Stephen's strategy laid out. I haven't put mine online yet, but basically I used sure math. Dan. So, I, so, I, so I took the jousting matrix and I uh, turned it into a strategy matrix and I did some uh, iterative elimination of dominated strategies. And then I fed it into a Nash equilibrium solver and I picked I picked among the among the several options for what it thought were best strategies and turn it into a dice, right? And those things are usually probabilistic. So I have a little table that I made up and I just have a D12 here. And every time we do a, uh, a ride that isn't, isn't restricted, I'm going to roll this D12 and look up what my strategy is. And I'm totally, totally committed to that. I'm totally on rails. Whatever the dice say, that's my strategy. So, uh, so man versus math is sort of what you're seeing yeah, here today. <laughs> In fact, we're testing your strategy. And yeah, frankly, yeah. And you know, I, have to say, it, I have to say, it looks pretty grim from my side. <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, now nothing's perfect, just like Stephen said. Frankly, the best that I can hope for is that I have a 50-50 chance of winning against someone using the same thing that I'm doing, frankly. That's the best you can hope for. Um, and maybe I made a mistake. Uh, maybe I used the, the, the solver software wrong. Uh, maybe I, I had to round off probabilities to get it to fit onto a die, right? Maybe maybe that gives me some kind of chink in my armor. So you know, I, I don't think it's a lock, but I'm I'm really happy to get to test it a little bit here. Maybe maybe that guy Nash was really not so genius as everybody says. 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Of course, uh, you know, we're talking about John Nash that the movie, the, the movie uh, A Beautiful Mind was made about. And he, you know, he had mental problems. So maybe I'm hanging my hat in the wrong place. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's let's do this. So let's do uh, Joust number one. And um, right. I have my team of knights that I'm putting out on the field. Uh, Stephen, my first knight is uh, is Allard. Have you have you named? Oh, have you named your your name? Knights? Well, I'm going to go with <laughs> I'm going to go with Sinister Fest. Great, going to lead. <laughs> Great. So we're going to do up yeah, to three rides. Right? If someone gets on horse, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So if someone gets on horse, that's the end of the joust. Uh, we'll bring out uh, other knights uh, if that goes too fast. Um, and uh, and we're going to pick our strategies for the first ride right now. Uh, so I'm rolling my d12 right. here. And don't say it out loud, Dan. Don't say it out loud. Okay. So I've got this. Our sign this. Show we're ready. We hold up the back of the card. Yeah, we have. The attack um, on the right. We have. Uh, here's the first ride. Oh, and I can't. I can't read your. Can you read mine? We practiced. This. I can. Yeah, we did. We did. I have different left. cards than we had previously. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, okay, yeah. so I'll do what happens for me. So my attack, I pick FP for Fest Pale. That's going against Steven's defense of shield low. And the result is B. Jeez, I break my lance and I lose a point and I'm going to be restricted next time. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, geez. And so I am what did, what's your result? For the, I'm aiming for the helm. And so, of course, you lean left and I miss, as I explained earlier. Wow. Okay. So you broke okay. your lance. So, yeah, that's bad. So we have to follow. I, this is the first time this happened to me. Actually, I'm very uncomfortable with this. So, um, think, Dan, so we what have are you to follow do? the think, asterisk. Think. Yeah. So, so I'm in this asterisk situation. Any knight who breaks his lance um, uh, must assume position four during the next ride. I do not have a choice about that. So picking my strategy for this kind of hideous situation. Okay, so I have picked, for my attack, I've picked Fest Pale. Um, and that's against Steven's lean left, which has resulted in G glances off. Oh, my goodness, which scores me nothing. What happens for you, Steven? And I choose Fest Pale against your steady seat, and you're unhorsed. And I break my land. Wow. Wow. You had to count the points. You have won that Joe, Steven. Some people have great tan. Oh my. You know, when we practiced on Wednesday, things went very different, but I guess Steven, Steven's one of these guys who takes it easy in practice and comes on in a live event. Oh no, I, I feel terrible. Randomly from my cards. Wow, well done. Okay. From an injury, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We should, okay, we should make this, let's see if we can go best, two out of three, huh? Two jumps out of three, Stephen? You okay with that? Well, I don't know how much, how much time we have, but I'm, I'm prepared to go for like six okay. or seven jumps. I guess probably should be an uneven okay. number if, we, if we're tied at the end. Right, right, I agree with that. Okay, so maybe at least, at least either five or seven is what we should do. Uh, yes, I see the viewers are calling for do another one. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, let's definitely do another one. So my next, so, okay. So Allard goes back in the tent in shame. 
<laughs> and dusts himself off, having having uh, measured his length on the ground. And uh, I'm going to pull out Bardolphus. That's Ivanhoe quote. <laughs> so here comes Bardolphus, who I'm pretty sure is going to do better. Ready for him? <laughs> and um, and uh, Dexter Chief takes the field. Okay. All right, so I rolled, uh, for what's world, I rolled an eight on the D12, which results in this. Okay, so I have picked uh, Fess Pale uh, for the, um, which is right down the center, the immediate center of your shield, I think. Um, and that's yep. against uh, Steven's steady seat. So I break my lance and I unhorse him. Yeah, and I only, I did a, I had a was that glancing blow? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> no, no, mm -hmm. yeah, steady seat, glancing blow, yeah. Great. Or one for one, uh, one to one. <clears throat> for even. All right, good, jo good job, Bardolphus. So it goes fast. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah. So far, we have time it's basically for more. Determined in, yeah, it's basically determined in the first right. Uh, let's do one more, and then, and then maybe we'll chat, chat a little bit how this interfaces with D&D, &D, actually, because it's a really good question from Hobo Ogre that just popped okay. up. So... Um, let me pull out, what do I have next? This is Carrick coming on the field. So hopefully All he right. can continue the run. I'm gonna, I, am, I am fielding Chief, um, Chief Pale. Okay. He's the team leader. <laughs> I love that. So here, I rolled, a th I rolled a two on my D12 for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. so, I'm, I'm, so I'm actually, I'm actually attacking the Chief Pale of Chief Pale. So I'm glad that you pulled him out. So I've got Chief Pale against your shield low, which results in unhorsing and injuring Chief Pale, unfortunately, right smack in his oh, heart. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and I missed again. Helm versus lean left. Helm versus <clears throat> lean left, right, is a miss. Okay. So I throw uh, Chief Pale in the dust and uh, give him a scar on his head. Sorry about that. Two to one. Two to one. After, after uh, we talk about D and D, we're going to come back and do some more. You know what? Let's do let's do number four because we might be tied after number four. Let's do one more and then chat yeah, about. Yeah, that D &D will increase the tension for coming back later. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. See, we're 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 smart entertainers. We know how to do this, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've been doing this for years. Did you see uh, Vince McMahon retired the other day? Anybody see that? It's uh, kind of a no. sports entertainment news. Uh, you know, when I, when I, you know, for what's worth, when I went, met, uh, CoDM Paul, we were at a company doing a wrestling, uh, an online wrestling game. And we had to meet with, uh, the people at WWE, including Vince McMahon, actually. So that kind of caught my eye anyway. So continuing our sports entertainment here, I have Dobbin on the field. And I'm going to go with, um, lean left, sir, lean left. Okay, so here's what Dobbin's going to do. Mm -hmm. Now, I picked the... So, this, so this, this worked sufficiently well for me that I picked the exact same strategy as last time, thanks to the D12. I, I didn't you, actually pick it. You picked it, no, or you, you didn't... You, you rolled it, or you picked it? I, I, I rolled mm. and got the same thing on the D12. Mm. The, well, D, the, I chose the D12 mine. told me to do this. <laughs> so, my attack so the same thing CP, happened. so Chief Pale... 
in the middle against shield low. Yeah, same thing happened. So I unhorse and injure yeah. uh, Stephen's knight, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What happens Third for you? They're lean left, I guess. It is. Yeah. And okay. uh, oh, right. and the same thing oh. happens for me. I, I miss again. Yep. I hit. I hit. I miss. Okay, so I miss again. Okay, so so somebody call a cleric because unfortunately I put two of I put two of Stephen's knights in the in the uh, yeah in the hospital. <laughs> They'll get better. Yeah, the, They'll get better. The uh, so let's the talk about, let's talk about how this, overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone someone Early boiled left water. Is measuring his length upon the ground. Sorry. <laughs> I think he's six foot three. Last I checked. <laughs> So Hobo Ogre had a really good question as we as we uh, have our intermission here for a second. Um, is you know how exactly does this interface with DD? And and Hobo Ogre is correct, right? This this was made you know before D and D, before there were classes and levels and player characters and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So among the limitations and among the kind of weird things uh, that it's it being called for in original D and D is yeah, it doesn't take into account anything about level. It doesn't take into account anything about ability scores, nothing about magic, right? Nothing about different equipment, better armor or anything like that. None of that, none of that's on the on the table here. It's two purely equivalent knights. There's nothing different about them, and it's purely a test of player skill on this matrix, nothing else. Um, how do yeah. you how do you you agree with that, Stephen? How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, that's that was a problem that apparently was a, a thing at the time, at the beginning of D&D. There was an article in Dragon Magazine. I don't remember which one. Um, a guy made a system that, for me, was overly complex, where you roll, you essentially are rolling some sort of two-hit that gives you, there's lots of consulting, more charts, and mm -hmm. you, it takes into account levels and uh, magic items and pretty much everything but it's it's really convoluted and it takes a while to to generate results um yeah. I, I worked on an i worked on a system that was much simpler that i liked at the time but then i i got onto other things last summer and and didn't finish it i have to come back to it one day um cool. but yeah the interface rules wise with dnd &D is difficult Essentially, though, if you have um, two knights who are of roughly equal level, like within two or three levels of each other, then you could say, okay, they're the same, and use the jousting matrix. You could also say um, that so socially, in the social environment, that what kind of knight would challenge a lesser knight or accept the challenge of a lesser knight? None. They wouldn't do it. Interesting. Maybe in certain certain chaos chaotic realms they might do that, uh -huh. but probably not in a lawful realm. And then you also wouldn't use magic items. They'd be like that would be cheating to use a magic item. <clears throat> so Agreed. that kind of that makes it where uh, if you integrate it into the scenario, then you can just use the table as it is. And I think that's the big thing is integrating and just jousting a tournament into the scenario. Um, I mentioned in my article that um, the, the really important thing is to um, put stakes 
on the make the stakes high or winning or losing the tournament. You know, either either you know it's life or death. If they win the tournament, they, they get something, or they or if they lose the tournament, they lose something really important. Or it could be a little bit less life and death, but it could be really important. Like if we win, we get to go that way. If we lose, we have to go that way, and we don't want to go that. Way. Something like that. Integrate it like that. Um, but it's uh, you know it's not hard to do that because I mean it's, if you're doing medieval fantasy, then then there's there's jousting. So just put it in there into the scenario. Um, it's um, it, it isn't hard to, to, you know, it isn't hard to learn. The big thing is that the players have to be on board. You have to say, look, I've got the scenario where you're jousting. You guys want to learn some new rules? There's not a lot. It's like this, uh, the, the rules you showed in the text plus the table comes out to one page. Uh, you can print that separately on a page and give it to everybody. And it's, it's not difficult to learn it's a little bit difficult to get the hang of it to realize because when you start out you're like i have no idea what i'm doing you know i'm probably choosing the worst thing you feel bad but after a while or if you read if you if you look at my article or if you look at the article that dan will publish on the nash equilibrium um <laughs> then then you've got some good strategies probably the nash equilibrium is the best one the problem is then everybody's going to use it so which is which is good because it, it ups up everybody's game. Yeah, those are all good thoughts. Um, I agree. You know, Hobo Ogre uh, put a put a comment here that I agree with. Like, you know, original D and D does say that you know the uh, the castle owner, who's either an eighth or ninth level fighter, if I recall correctly, is going to challenge anybody, right? So um, I agree with um, arranging the joust event to be between equal knights is a great solution. But if you if you are have random yeah. PC versus one of these castle owners, you are going to have to deal with the I'm only fourth level and he's ninth level. How does that affect it? Um, you can so, have if he's a um, if he's a lawful a lawful uh, castle owner domain owner, he might designate one of his knights who is the same oh, level or fair. close to to you know because he's going to say yeah I can tell that you're not you don't have. I can tell the way you walk, you don't have the right kind of swagger. You're not going to be in competition for me. So I'm going to, you know, let one of my knights stand in. Nice. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. That's nice. Um, and I will say that, you know, you, if you're going to do that, you might with your, with your player characters in a D&D game, you might want to give them. And we've talked a number of times at this point on the channel about these mini games, right? Original D&D did not have a core mechanic. That whole concept came 30 years later. Um, and it has a whole lot of these kind of mini games where you do this for jousting and for the wilderness, you're supposed to go look at the outdoor survival game from Avalon Hill. And for aerial combat, you probably want a copy of Fight in the Skies, you know, in whole, all, that kind of thing. And I, I got to admit, uh, I, I love it too. I, I will admit, I will confess that me springing a new system mid game on players hasn't gotten the best response. Um, yeah. You might want to check in beforehand if you've got a player that wants to engage with that and give them the rules in advance to analyze. Because admittedly, if I give someone this chart mid-game and I totally have done that, they're at C. <laughs> and yes, I have as DM, I have a huge advantage. And so what wound up happening in my original D&D game is this happened a couple times and the players went around the table and said, the next guy that challenges to a joust, we're just going to kill him. 
Everybody agreed with that. We're just going to mob him and kill the next guy, anybody that ever challenges to a joust again, because it was just fundamentally unfair. Um, so then, as, as you would expect, I started modifying the rules. And, and now, frankly, I do do something a little bit different. But um, if, someone's, uh, if someone is interested in the system, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of fun. Um, you, want to, you want to do a couple more, couple more jousts, Stephen? A couple more. I need three more at least. Okay. I have three more named knights, so I think we're, we were in like yeah, mind about yeah. how, how many we're going to do. <laughs> You're rolling this, right? It might be that your table yeah. is, I used, I used the earlier table that you gave me. You sort of did a, a bait and switch on me, Dan. For my, okay, part, of my, um, part of my strategy outlined in the article is to watch your opponent, right? Yes. Watch your opponent and see what he does to learn what he's what little things he's favoring. He's gonna have ticks. When you gave me your, you know, Nash equilibrium and the tables, and this is how I do it. Essentially, what you gave me was all of your previous moves into the infinite past, and all of your future moves into the infinite future. So I was able to analyze that and come up with a few moves that are different from the ones on the on my chart, um, but that are adapted to the, the player in front of me. So, and I'll, I'll have to write this up to any player who's who's using who's a who's a jousting against the Nash equilibrium might use this system, or they might just use the Nash it's equilibrium. Game it's, it's game theory, kids, live on the Wandering Downs. And this is what it's like: is you think that I think that you think that I think that you think that I think. Um, yeah. And uh, I love so for what it's worth, you know, the thing that I showed you before, I basically just mashed up those three tables into one. Is what I did. I had three separate options for myself, and it's, it's more or less what I showed you before mashed together is what, what I've got here. Did you do um, equal equal weight for each table? Yeah, I, you know what, I, I did this like a couple of years back and I actually don't remember how I connected it actually. But okay. the, what, for what it's worth, what right. I'm doing today actually is what I was playing at GaryCon 2018 with. I think it's, okay. it's weighted and I like modified I actually, rules. Yeah. And then I actually think I threw one you, thing in just you for did, flavor. You're doing to me, you're doing to me the same thing GaryCon <laughs> did to you. Oh. I need a, I well, demand okay. a rematch. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. We're gonna, we're gonna we'll, we'll expect to see Stephen again sometime in the future. We'll take as usual. There's complaints about my play that's going to the Central Wandering DMs Commission, and we'll get a ruling, and we'll probably have to bring Stephen back. That's that's. I'm used to it, Stephen. No problem. We can totally do that. Okay. Um, All right. Do we have time for a couple more? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Who do I have? So I have I have Edmund coming on the field now. Now I'm currently up three to one. But if we do three more jousts, Stephen can definitely pull ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Um, we're back in the roster to Sinister Fest. I have the, the only guy left standing is Sinister Fest. <laughs> you know, that's a great name, <laughs> isn't, it? isn't it? That's actually a great name. Okay, so roll. I got a seven, so I'm going to get this and this. Okay, so uh, I picked for attack point, I picked Chief Pale against your six shield low. So unfortunately, I've unhorsed and injured your, your next knight. Every time it's the Chief Pale. And, sorry, and, uh, and I have uh, aimed for the helm 
that he sees. So I, I took off your helmet. Ouch. For the first time. Dong. In, in, practice, okay. in practice, this worked like 75% of the time. I took off your helmet. And then once you're in steady seat, I pretty much got you. For example, that steady, let's imagine, let's imagine yep. that you had chosen a different attack and missed me, but I took off your helmet and you have to do steady seat. Let's see what happens. Well, then I would automatically lose the next ride, right? You would, but, but let's see if you're able to unhorse me. Because there's a chance, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just grabbing two and, cards. And maybe here. it's bigger to... than I thought. On your previous table, it was only a three percent chance. We'll see how much it's going to be now. Yeah. So hypothetically, right? Hypothetically, if I was yeah, oh, yeah. Geez, wrong thing here. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I think I got my cards backwards here. Um, so hypothetically, uh, I got uh, in that case, I, I picked DF for my aiming point at your lean yeah, left would yeah. be a miss. And obviously, yeah. what did you do? Yeah, S-Pale versus Steady Seat is unhorsing. And breaks yep. my... It's like, uh, in your, with, your, with your three tables that you had earlier, uh, using uh, lean left, for me, uh, was only, there's only a 3% chance that you might get, that you might come up with, um, I think it's, uh, Lean left, I don't remember, it's, oh, it's bait. Uh, if you're aiming, no, it's uh, Sinister Fest. If you're aiming Sinister Fest, only a 3% mm -hmm. chance you're gonna come up with that. Um, so lean left is the, the best defense for me. However, all of the attacks that allow lean left are really bad for me, including Fest Pale. Uh, right. Fest Pale, I'm always gonna break my land, so I can only use it on the last ride the third ride, or if one of us is stuck in our steady seat. Yep, yep. That's I the agree. only chance I, I have so, to use it. So the, the Nash More. equilibrium is really a really strong uh, system. Yes. In my that's analysis. What it's, that's, what it's, that's what it's there for. <laughs> Let's do, we got about 10 minutes left here. Let's do two more kind of quickly. So I'm currently up uh, four to one, I guess. Um, I got two yeah. more named. I got two more name knights that I had here. Uh, so here comes Fabian. I rolled a one. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that is not on my. What was it? Good old Nothing rock. Beats. Nothing beats rock. <laughs> a little different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is Sir Lean Right. Okay, so so I took I took CP Lean Left. So my CP attack against your steady seat uh, breaks my lance, which is not good. What happens for you? Hopefully, um, my base versus your Lean Left is going to unhorse you. Oh crap! Oh man. Okay. Good job. <clears throat> Okay, Steven's coming back. Thank you. Um, seems like a good selection. And uh, here else? comes uh, my, my last knight, who's Godfrey. So Godfrey. I'm going to do this.
That worked for me so well last time I'm going to do it again. Great. Yeah, it looks like it's working again. So, uh, so my CP against your steady seat is a broken lance, which is bad. And what happens for you? Yeah. And I also break my lance. Okay. Well, that's different. Base versus shield low. Yeah. So minus one, minus one. And we know how this ends, right? Probably so. We both have to take steady seat. Mm -hmm. And so we take steady seat and we do best pale. And we're both going to be break our lance and uninjured and injured. I'm sorry, unhorsed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means uh, another minus one each of us and a plus 20. So we, we, we have a draw at 18 points. We do. We do. That's actually a total tie. That's a, I like that conclusion, Stephen. I like a, I like a big mutual clash there. Like the, um, yeah. and, and that is what happens if you both break, right? Yeah. yeah. Probably the horses yeah. like jump up into the air. That's a good thing. Yeah, hit. right. The, okay, the that, only thing more dramatic, the only thing more dramatic than that would be if if somebody did uh, aiming aiming uh, aiming low, what is it? Aiming base, and the defender does shield high. You ever notice what happens there? Shield high versus shield high versus base. Oh, it's very bad. Yeah, I guess yeah. apparently you break your lance off in the guy's face because it's a broken lance. He's unhorsed and he's injured. That's very bad. That's the thing, Dan. It's not his face. <laughs> shield high. Oh. Aim oh base. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. That party. There, there's no party for a month after that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good point. Careful. I had not actually really thought about that result so carefully. Thank you yeah, for thank you, you for bringing you, that image to my mind. The the, the first the first uh, lesson in jousting class is never raise the shield. You know, when I go to YouTube and I have to fill out there, like, what kind of content is this later on? And I'll have to say, yes, there's graphic violence in this episode right near the end. So thanks. Thanks a bunch for that. (laughs) So I think that's all the time we have for our tournament. So after seven uh, jousts, uh, I think the score was four uh, for Dan, two for Steven, and then one tie, one, one exciting tie right at the end. Uh, yeah. And Stevens put it, lodging a complaint that it isn't exactly the system that I showed him earlier, and we might have to get I'm back together. I'm going to be talking for years about, about how I was on wandering DMs, and Dan changed the rules on me. Every time you <laughs> I mention didn't change now the rules. that they I changed, changed my the strategy. rules at <laughs> <laughs> And that's right. And so, let, so to wrap up a little bit, and we don't have too much time to talk about, I get now we don't really have too much time to talk about actually what our strategies are. I'm going to very briefly say that when I did the math on my end, you know, when you pick a strategy, there's actually not just six or eight options, right? There's the combination. And so uh, eight aiming points times six defenses is really 48 different things you could select. Uh, You narrowed it down by the defensive restrictions. There's 33. So in game theory, you get a matrix. that's a 33 by 33 dimension matrix. You have to put that into your Nash solver. Um, uh, it's, you have to get a fairly advanced Nash solver to deal with something that big. And when I initially did that, I will say that it spat out, uh, 28,000 different optimal strategies. There's actually 28,000 different, uh, pure Nash, uh, equilibria best strategies. 
And then if you want to, you can probabilistically combine any of those in any way. So technically there's an infinite number of Nash strategies and I happened to pick one and kind of turn it into dice. So uh, there, was, there, was, there was, yeah, there was math involved is I guess what I'm saying with that. When I, when I showed up at, um, when I did show up at uh, GaryCon, I did find out they have a very nice setup. I'll just throw that out there. So a very nice kind of highlight setup right at the front of the, uh, the the gaming hall that they have there, which is a big, nice big event. Have people coming through there. It's like an ongoing event. People are coming through and challenging each other all weekend long. At the end, uh, they go and they grab Luke Gygax, who's a great friend of the show. He's been on multiple times here. And he's he plays the Black Knight champion in the final round that you're trying to beat, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, what else do I have? I have and, and I have a scorebook here as they're registering everybody coming through the tournament. So a couple of the things, you know, they use the same matrix. I guess I'll just bring that up. You can see that on the uh, the screen here in the photo. They use the same, the exact same matrix. They actually, except that they remove the injured results, right? So I just sent a couple of Stevens Knights to the hospital. They remove that. And just like Steven said, it doesn't really matter because you're already on Horst and the point value from that is already so big that it's gonna be uh, determinative anyway. What's the other thing they do? But they change the points a lot, right? If you do go to Gary Khan, big, big point change. Unhorsing scores you five points. Knocking off the opponent's helm scores you four points. Uh, breaking your lance is positive for you now. You score two points for breaking a lance, just like you do in Renaissance fairs and our understanding of history stuff, two points for that. A glancing blow scores you one point and only a miss is zero. And the other thing they do differently is you're definitely gonna take three rides. Um, the way in Chainmail and we're, we're playing today was you get on horse, that's the end of that joust. But at GaryCon, you are gonna take three rides even if you're on horse. So you have to take into account, you know, if on the first ride I break my lance and I'm a horse, that's great. But then you are gonna have a second ride where you have to take steady state and then you're gonna get on horse in response. And that actually gets a lot more complicated and I actually have yet to fully do that math. but. Keep that in mind that you know just a little bit, a little bit of changes um, to the rules changes the math a whole lot, and that's what you have at the uh, the Gary Con tournament every year. So just kind of keep that in mind if you do that. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll see you there some year. Maybe I'll see you there in twenty twenty three at the at the at the jousting table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be the guy lying on the ground with a, with a ruler with a tape measure. There won't just be one. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> so that's about all the time that we have uh, for that. So obviously the actual gameplay is very fast, right? There's, 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 no, there's yeah. no levels, there's no abilities, there's no dice, right? It's purely player skill, um, which you know, we are actually fond of in uh, classic gaming. We actually like um, challenging the player's knowledge kind of more than what you just have on stats on paper. So that's exactly what's happening there. Any final thoughts about our chainmail jousting uh, competition today, Stephen, before we wrap up? Um, not any particular thought. No, it's, it's chain, uh, jousting is a, is a great thing to do. You stick it in your game a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we, we like and, the mini games. I would say give it to your players first to analyze so you don't. So if, you, if you're playing with myself or Steven as a DM, we don't have too much of a dis, we don't have too much of an advantage on them. But we like it. Yeah. 
Cool. So uh, do you have you have something else you want to say, Stephen? Um, no. Okay. Don't forget, look at uh, Stephen's Dungeonlands uh, blog, uh, D again, D-O-N-J-O-N-Lands.com, um, which is great. Look for uh, his uh, book. What's, what's the name of the book again, Stephen? Blue Flame, Tiny Stars. Great. I liked it. I liked it a lot. As, as someone that started with uh, Holmes Basic, I liked it a lot. So um, yeah, don't if uh, if you have comments or ideas about ways that you could modify uh, original chainmail jousting for your original D and D games, how you can bring in levels and ability scores and stuff like that, or things that you've tried in the past that work well in your game, please leave a comment uh, in uh, on YouTube. We'll look at that, and if, when we have more jousting in the future, if that's what you want to see, tell us that, and we'll bring Stephen back for uh, round two once I once I show people what my strategy is. I think, I, I think you probably deserve that. You probably deserve that. Don't forget, if you're new to the channel, you can like, follow, and subscribe to The Wandering Dems on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering Dems on all of those sites. So look for us there and you get updates on upcoming events and tournaments on our channel. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, get audio versions of our shows from top podcast providers and also our website at wanderingdms.com. Leave a comment uh, if you like uh, those uh, those things, because uh, we appreciate seeing that. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons like Stephen, who support the Wandering DM show every month. And, you know, uh, we couldn't do what yeah. we do without people like Stephen, right? And uh, he's very, uh, he participates in our Discord uh, chats all the time gave us the idea for this show and then uh, had the courage to uh, to man up and bring his uh, his best jousting uh, uh, at, at the moment on uh, live on the air. Not not uh, not everybody would have the courage to do that. So if you'd like to join people like Stephen and maybe we'll see you on the show in the future, go to patreon.com slash wandering DMs. You'll see our different tiers in particular access to our discord server where the conversation continues all the time. And we have an after chat that's live video after each of our Sunday shows. And we'll be there, probably myself, Stephen, and our other top patrons there in a couple yeah, of I'll minutes. Be there. Uh, awesome. Fantastic. Uh, don't forget about our other shows coming up in the next week. I'll be back late Thursday night with more Dan Plays Games from the Elder Times as I uh, hack my way through uh, the 1988 Pool of Radiance game. And I remember uh, it's not original D&D, &D, it's, it's advanced D&D, &D, and I continually have to remember what the rules differences are. Um, and I think I'm going to be, it looks like I'm going to be fighting a bunch of undead on Thursday immediately after I throw to, threw away all of my blunt weapons to get my movement up, which I think is what, where we ended last time, which is sleep attack totally something sleep that I would attack. do. <laughs> I'm going to be casting a lot of sleep spells. I'm going to be casting charm person. I'm going to be attacking with daggers and arrows. I think that's my plan against all the undead on Thursday. So join in and tell me if you have a better strategy for that. Um, and of course, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, we are hoping to get on another guest next week. Uh, hopefully we can wrangle in Zach Glazer from Necromancer Games to talk about their Ooh. upcoming uh, right miniature heavy 80s throwback game that they're producing right now. So hope you'll join us for that. Uh, Stephen, awesome. thank you, thank you immensely for for joining in on the uh, the jousting tournament today. I'm extremely glad to have had this opportunity to measure my length upon the ground. <laughs> That's the best. Thank you so much. Uh, we're live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, so you hope that you'll uh, you viewer will join us again next week for another thought-provoking mm -hmm. discussion. <laughs>